Debo going on his own. He gets the try. The Red 78. We're both monster people. Every gets over the line. Try from Munster. Nobody knows Munster rugby better. Hello and welcome along. I'm Alan Quinlan and you're listening to episode 61 of the Red 78 here on the Rugby Channel. And with me as always is my partner in crime, Neve Briggs. How are you, Neve? And how was your weekend? Spurs lost again. They've given Liverpool a bit of a lifeline at the top <laughs> four. And obviously for any United fans watching this, um, it was a freak, a freak show on Sunday. Um, very enjoyable one, I must say. Now, given the way poor old Liverpool were going, my team, but... Anyway, I, I enjoyed Sunday. You must have been buzzing, you. I think. I really? enjoyed Sunday, yeah. Well, I tell you, I looked at the, the Tottenham Wolves game and the results Saturday night, and I was surprised. Tottenham are up and down. But anyway, from a rugby point of view, how was your weekend? Were you training, matches? <clears throat> yeah, was it was good. It was busy. We were in, we had our first Irish camp this weekend. Um, okay. So it was the, the Irish based players and the wider squad. So it was great to touch base. Lots of um, new girls and stuff that I wouldn't have encountered before so it was brilliant really enjoyed that and then Saturday evening uh, ducked away from Abbottstown over to Blackrock because we were playing uh, Blackrock in the AIL Cup and we got a good win there so yeah it was a good weekend busy but uh, a good weekend rugby wise oh, Very good um, you mentioned that you were in camp was that your first camp this weekend? Yeah our first camp um, so we go back in again now on Sunday yeah, so and you play great. in three weeks on the twenty fifth, your first game against. Yeah, it's Wales, so it follows the same. Uh, you're away. To, you're away. You're away, away to Wales. Wales. Okay. Park, Park, yeah. um, before I read out the tweets and and the performance on Friday night, Munster's win against the Scarlets, 42, uh, 49-42, which is a bit of a crazy game itself. Um, I put out a tweet yesterday just to try and get some engagement from the fans. There's one message that kind of jumped out at me here from Connor McNamara and it has to be for you because it can't be for me really uh, Connor wanted to know thoughts on so few Munster women making the first combined provinces and now the Six Nations squad despite Munster being back-to-back champs before you answer this is a difficult situation and sometimes I look at the likes of Paul O'Connell who's a, obviously a, a diehard Munster man all his life Irishman as well, of course, but um, he was getting a little bit of this at the start of of his tenure with Ireland as well. That there was so few Munster men there. This is a, it's a little bit different. Munster won the into pros. I can understand it's it's a difficult decision, and you can't give a lot away on this. But um, it is a question to to say, you know, there's thirty two girls squad and there's six Munster ladies in it. Um, how how do you answer that question for Connor? Yeah, look, obviously people are perfectly entitled to their opinions and I completely understand where that that's I get a tweet about that at least once a week, by the way, since the end of the interpros. And I think we've just got to look at the bigger picture. So club scene in Dublin is really, really strong. I don't know if you know if, if anybody knows the IL within women's rugby, it's there's a big imbalance in relation to how the club game is, is going at the moment and the Dublin clubs are, are are very strong and we're kind of hanging on by you know our fingernails in terms of making sure we're in that top four um, and we've done incredibly well this year from a Bose perspective from a Munster perspective I do get it but I think if people just look at the age profile of, of, of all the squads that Munster squad were really really young 
So they have opportunities in the summer from in terms of an under eighteen and under twenty three um, international or, or, or get togethers and and I'd imagine and I would be very surprised if there's not a big bulk of them that are in that. So um, they're, they're they're definitely they're on the path and they're they're. they're I'm, I've no, I, I know for a fact that they're in Greg and John's vision and and what we're trying to do, but we had to, it's very difficult. The women's game is in a real state of flux at the moment because obviously we've got contracted players now, but also from a global stage, we've got a Six Nations that becomes very important because there's a tournament um, in the autumn called Global XB. In order for you to qualify for that and into the top tiers of that, you have to base in Six Nations. So tier one goes with the top three, tier two is four and five, and tier three is is say um, the sixth place in Six Nations. So obviously you want to be in the top tier one because you get better quality games, you're playing against better players and you're then improving all the time. So there's an element too that we've got to go with a lot of experience as well. So I get people's frustrations, but um, you know I fully believe that from a coaching point of view, a club and a province, if we continue to do what we're doing and how we're developing players and what the likes of Ken and Rosemary, Willie are doing at underage level, then that number will increase over the next couple of years. Um, so we just got to keep our heads down and keep working. Would you, would, would any of the girls be looking for feedback or would you kind of regularly talk to them and say, look, you yeah. didn't make, you didn't yeah, make this squad, uh, but what you've done so far and even in Interpros has been brilliant. We're watching you closely. We do an Andy Farley you watching piece. We might do that for the ladies as well. <laughs> um, uh, and obviously... Greg McWilliams, the head coach, and Dennis Dennis Fogarty is involved with you full time now, which yeah. is brilliant to have have yeah. his experience. Um, and, because... and John McKee and Greg and John are full time, so they're the ones that are ultimately, you know, leading this program. It's like last weekend was really good, a really enjoyable camp. But I just think, hundred percent, we've had a couple of girls in that wider squad from Munster. There's people probably don't really know about in terms of they're young, so they've got valuable experience now. They're in in around the girls all the time. They're training with them and, and stuff like that. So there's, there's there's a lot of work to do from a Munster's perspective in terms of we did fall, we did drop the ball from a club and provincial, you know, over the last few years in terms of continuously evolving and getting players to be at that level. But I think over the last 12, 18 months, the work that the lads are doing, as I said, underage, the work that we're trying to do in terms of senior and down into filtered into clubs. And I'd, imagine, I'd like to think that over the next 12, 18 months, that number changes. Yeah, we must um, we must try and get Greg on uh, at some stage. He probably not during the Six Nations, but maybe after, unless he wants to. I know he listens to the pod here because he's um, <laughs> he's listening carefully to to see what you say as well. What one of his his uh, selectors say and coaches. So we will get him on, um, and he can maybe give us a, a bit of a report after the Six Nations and and let people know because part and parcel of of. Um, obviously the structural improvements that everyone was crying out for and that are starting to happen. You're seeing lots of positive changes around the women's game now, but also the media part of the exposure that these girls get as regards, you know, articles in the papers, um, coverage on TV, all that kind of stuff is really important. So um, I know Greg is pretty open to, you know, and he's been very honest and he's appraisal of, of, of um, his vision for the future and stuff. So we'll get, we hopefully we can get him on at some stage about that. Okay. That was a tricky question, but um, yeah, it's kind of a, start, it's a catch 22. It's a, it's a tough one, but 
Um, I'm sure you are fighting the corner for 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 the Munster girls as well, but um, maybe a bit of experience has played out in this squad. Uh, regarding the Munster game last Friday night, it seems like um, uh, a while back and a bit of a, a freakish kind of a scenario. Um, I'm talking about the Liverpool United one as well there at the start, but this game was kind of crazy. Munster won 49-42. They're 35-7 up at half time, playing brilliant rugby. And then you have the Scarlet's response in the second half. I think it's a bit disingenuous to say that Munster were really poor and that Scarlet's, that's what allowed Scarlet's back into the game. I think, you know, Scarlet's have obviously had um, a really disappointing start to their season. Their first 10 games, they'd only one win, one draw, eight losses. Their last four before Friday night, they'd won four games. But there's still a lot of, good attacking players in their team and that's the way they play. So we'll get more into the game in a minute. Um, but what are the fans saying? I put a tweet out yesterday asking them what their thoughts were. Yeah, before we jump into that Munster game, I was going to give you, we had a couple on YouTube, if that's okay. Um, and one from Brian uh, Quigley. You know that we were speaking last week about Tyke Byrne being missing and, and a like for like. He thinks the closest player to Tyke Byrne's playing style is Gavin Coombs. James Ryan started at the left second row with Ian Henderson, but when Ryan Baird went on, James Ryan moved to right second row and wasn't as noticeable around the pitch. Should Gavin Coombs start at the right second row for Ireland as he has been finishing matches there for Munster? That's one for you, Quinny, do uh, Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. He is a back rower, though. Um, I think he's more of a back rower. I think Ty Byrne obviously has the ability to... You know, Ty Byrne obviously played plays in the back row a fair bit as well. And when he was with Scarlets, he was outstanding with for them, uh, mostly playing as a back row. Um, it's an option, yeah. If you it and it could be an option going forward. I'm not sure it's going to happen now or should happen now. Um, but obviously, if you have someone of his playing ability and his ball carrying ability and power, um, I think yes, of course, it could be an option. But is he the same line-out operator and presence as as Tyg? Um, probably not. But certainly, as if you want to try and get him on the field and you want to keep really athletic, powerful ball carriers in your pack, depending on what way you're playing and what way games are going, yes, of course, he, he would be an option there. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Ken Chedwell has also emailed in uh, he's a Longford man living in New York and he listens every week and loves the podcast he's curious to hear our thoughts on the potential future of Jack Crowley I among uh, others rate him highly and I feel like he might be slightly unlucky not to have featured more than Six Nations so, f- so far given the run he had in the Autumn Series I would have liked if he had been given more time against Italy the two minutes I saw of him that game he looked exciting as he always does I remember Andy Farrell talking some months back about investing time in Crowley, but it hasn't seemed to have happened for him yet. He played well for United also and helped set up a try. In terms of his place at Munster, where do you guys see him settling? Will it be himself and Carberry, Carberry battling for 10 jersey? You have to imagine that a young, exciting player like him needs games for him to develop. Is there room for him and Carberry at Munster at the moment? I also have one quick question about the Irish team that crossed my mind. There seems to be a big reliance on van der Fleer and Darris, rightly so. Lately, they have a lot of minutes on the clock this year. If one or both get injured, Baird is in the second row and O'Mahony is at six. Do we have the players on the bench or in reserve that can realistically be on par with their world-class performances week in, week out? Coombs comes to mind if he gets the opportunity. 
exploded there. Um, yeah, okay. There's a good few questions in there. Uh, the first one, Jack Crowley um, and Joey Carberry, they, do they both have a role in Munster? Absolutely. Um, I think the situation for Joey Carberry now is there's not as much emphasis and pressure at actually start him not him playing as a fullback. He, of course, he can play as a fullback. I actually thought on Friday night that both of them would start the game. Munster started Patrick Campbell at fullback. Um, you need you need the quality. Ben Healy is leaving. You know if they if they were to lose a Joey Carberry or he was to move on, and you know something happened. Every team needs a little bit of depth, particularly in those pivotal positions at out half, uh, tight head prop come to mind. Um, so I think, there, of course, there's a, a role for both of them. It's very early days. I think Jack Crowley, yes, I agree, a sense that he might have um, he might have uh, got more game time and had maybe involvement, um, a bit more involvement. And But look, the reality is Ross Bourne kind of jumped ahead of him and took his chance and, and did really well coming off the bench against France as well. So um, I would have liked to have seen him get more game time against Italy, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think the time. I, yeah, the time. Yeah. But I think the way the match played out then as well, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't help. And yeah, I've, I've been in that position myself when you're on the bench and you're and you end up being in a in a tough situation where the game is still in the balance. So, yeah. Um, and it's I also not about, think, though, uh, sorry for interrupting there. I also think, from a point of view of um, the Munster situation, like <clears throat> Munster need to get to a place like a Leinster where they have worked class or international class in two or three depth charts, you know, in terms of across all 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 positions so that it breeds competition within the squad. It, it makes everybody play better. It makes everybody play on edge. For a long time, I felt that Munster had had players that knew no matter how well or how poor they played, they were going to be starting next week. And I just think that that's going now, that that's kind of that environment that, that Graham Roundtree is creating the, the, with the lads is is really good. They just they put the team up at the end of the week on whoever's trained well and whoever's playing well, and it's 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 that competition that will make the squad better. It's not just Joy Carbridge Rowley. That needs to be across the board. Yeah, of course, everybody would love that. Every team uh, playing across Europe wants that that depth chart, and um, you know Leinster. I have a lot of players that are, you know, playing consistently well. And they've, you know, 19, I think they've, uh, the run of matches they've won this year has just been phenomenal. And even all going to Edinburgh at the weekend, Edinburgh had a few internationals back, tough place to go. And um, they produced the goods again. They've lots of quality uh, underneath the, the perceived first team. So that's well documented. Of course, Munster want to try and get to that position and get more depth. It's hard to get every position covered. Um, yeah, but it's a gradual process, and look, they're in that transitional period, and and I think that is the case for for Jack Crowley um, and Joey Carberry. That this whole thing of even the two of them playing together, and they've done that a couple of times this season. Um, it's still quite early, and um, they're really important players for Munster. Van der Fleer and Doris, can we replace them if they weren't playing? Well, that if you took two of the best players out of any team. In any sport, it's hard to get the same level. So it's just about bringing other young players through as well, and 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 other options. I'm sure if they were injured, um, you know, guy, other players would come through. And we've seen that with some other injuries that that Ireland have had, particularly 
the highlighted one is Finley Bealham, the way he's come through. We didn't think we could cope without Tyg Furlong and um, Bealham has done a fantastic job. It's a shame he's injured again. So hard hard players to play. Let's move on to the other tweets. You've loads of messages yeah. about the match. Um, They're all very similar about the carnage of the, se- the, the second yeah. half, really. <laughs> Positives in the first half, carnage in the second yeah. half. Uh, Key McGivney, impressive attack and serious cohesion with the likes of Frisch, Fechtel and Shane Daly to the fore. Poor in the second half. Here's hoping they can play like the first half in Glasgow. Great to see RG back too. Uh, Connor, or sorry, Helena Close, high octane first half, but they paid the price in the second. Uh, does it always have to be heart attack stuff at Munster or worn out from it? John Tui, um, job done at half time. The Munster lads pressed the standby button in the dressing room while the Scarlet coaches were frantically. Uh, attaching jump leads to their players to find out if they were alive and could they play in the second half. Great win and game past the defib. Um, I think lots of them were talking about that. Um, Tom Lundgren, Gav got the job done in the first half. Credit to Scarlets, all that's going on and turned up in the second half. The massive Six Nations test this week must win for Ireland and Scotland. It won't be easy. Triple Crown Championship and Grand Slam all to play for in our own final home game against England. James Moriarty inevitably ran out of juice after what I can only imagine was a tough week for all. Also, injuries during the game didn't help, but credit Scarlet for how they responded. Munster are a team transformed now since out of Larkham's guidance. Uh, good, Paul T, good second half, playing a nice brand of rugby. Good start, sorry, playing a nice brand of rugby. Second half, no flow. We got... Uh, the, we got the to we got uh, the expected Scarlet's backlash. Shane Daly and Calvin Nash improving every game. Benefited most with Munster's new brand of game. Just wanted to see RG most of all. Uh, better to be chased as the ones chasing the lead. Christopher Murphy. Either Scarlet's figured out Munster's defence and pre- proceeded to shred them, or Munster switched off because they thought it was done and dusted. Hopefully, it was Munster switching off because if not, that's a load of game tape for opponents to study and look for ways to pick Munster apart. Chris Tobin, outstanding first half, complacency set in second half, it's understandable. Injuries upset the whole team, Scarlet's are a decent side. 6-2 split in the bench nearly caught us. Hopefully those lads have learned how to close out a game. Sometimes kicking it or keeping it tight is okay. And uh, just in relation to the game this weekend, John Tui, Farrell as a manager, the best we can be. If we bring that on Sunday, Ireland will by 14 points plus. The Scots have not beaten a decent team in the Six Nations they also bring a knife to a gunfight. We have uh, too many weapons in our arsenal. It should be a cracker. Uh, that's literally, um, Joe, sorry, madness is how we described the Scarlet's match, but great entertainment. Fantastic to see RG back with a hern in a dog bow, uh, almost there as well. So lots of people are very happy to see um, uh, RG back. Uh, a fellow called um, Phil Quinlan said, it was superb to see Ku Cullen back. That's how he called RG, which I, I thought was very good. Um, and obviously, look, it was great to see him back. He's uh, he's back now, and it's just about being patient and getting him game time. So it's great. The big positive here for me is the it's a bonus point win. Uh, we spoke a lot about these three home games, the three home games, Ospreys, Scarlets, and Glasgow's to come in three weeks. Um, the big positive is five points on the board, bonus point win. Uh, Munster putting themselves in a really good position in the table, giving themselves a real shot at, um, you know, being in that playoffs. Um, they're up, they're still fifth on 47 points, two points behind Glasgow. So beating Glasgow in a few weeks could, could put them into, you know, the top four. 
and uh, we know what's happening after that. South Africa is going to be very difficult. So the big positive is that the bonus point win. And of course, lots of the tweeters there and, and fans are mentioning RG Snyman. Just very quickly on that. Um, I felt that a, a sense of relief and a bit of nervousness watching the game. I was commentating on the game um, that he just get through it. You, you, it's one of those ones you just need to get through. But given you know his comeback before and and the second injury he had, um, I I thought about myself coming on off the bench and trying to get back for um, uh, Heineken Cup final in two thousand and six. And the biggest fear of all is um, is just getting the gear on, doing the warm up, getting out on the pitch and getting off the pitch and kind of you know, being able to be in that dressing room afterwards, knowing psychologically you've got through this. Um, you mightn't have been tested or hit in the knee or had to do a huge amount. And I've openly stated, you know, my cameo in the Heineken Cup final four minutes in 2006 was I didn't touch the ball. I didn't make a tackle. I just ran around circles. And um, obviously I'd come back a couple of pre- uh, in previous weeks and played a few games off the bench for Shannon and Munster twice and then got onto the final. So I just thought about that, that I just thought he looked like someone who really just, just needed to get through this 20 minutes and get off the field. It wasn't about what he did because he made a few, you know, a few tackles, one carry and um, a sense of relief, but it's a massive positive that he was, he was out there. Um, the other positives are obviously the attack. So what did Munster do well in that first half to be leading 35-7? Oh, it's their ability to move the ball in small spaces. So you're changing constantly changing the point of attack. So you're you're almost dictating the tackle, if that makes any sense. So you're running into space. It's like soft shoulders, arms, tackles, as opposed to body in front where you're going to get absolutely smashed. And I think they, they've, they've done that so well over the last period of months. And I just think it's just constantly moving that point. And I think they look for edges very, very well, but it's, it's what they do when they come back from that edge. I've noticed generally if you come back off an edge, you'll see big carries into that really tight defence now they're kind of screening that out the back to the 10 and and it's just moving. It's moving the fences around the park all the time. Um, and it's, yeah, I just thought it was that ability to move the ball in, in those really tight spaces that allows them then to have front door and out the back options. Defenders have to kind of check their run as small and, um, and you know, they're, they're finding these little small little gaps and then just all you need is that small gap and then the next phase after you're able to put that away and, um what I love most about this attack over the last while is the acceleration onto the ball. So they actually are accelerating onto the ball once they have it in, in their hands and none other than, than the back three players. And I just thought it was really, really good. Okay, that's um, that was the first half. They conceded one try, um, which I think they probably would look back at it and be a bit frustrated when they got a turnover and the touch was missed. And it allowed the Scarlets to to come back and 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 score that try in the first half from Roberts, their winger. Uh, <clears throat> second half, what happened? Um, Twenty three missed tackles throughout the game, um, and it it was a little bit. And as I said at the start, you don't want to be um, sound insulting to the Scarlets because I think they number of things happened here. In my opinion, you can tell me yours in a sec. Obviously, the I think Scarlets were shocked. Got a rollicking from their coaches at halftime, threw caution to the wind, um, came out with more energy, aggression, more determination, that it wasn't 60 points here. 
And, you know, they started to find little gaps in space and, and their confidence grew and suddenly they're chasing the game. The second half was crazy because I think from, and I'll just take you through the tries quickly. So in 45 minutes, uh, Fafita scores the try. It looks soft. Um, you can, and I'm sure Munster can analyze all these. I'm sure the Scarlets can analyze the Munster tries as well. And I thought a couple of the Munster tries, even though the execution was good in the first half, they were soft. Could have been preventable, would prevent it with better defence. So Fafita scores, uh, makes the score 35-14 on 45 minutes. Four minutes later, Gavin Coombs, Munster go up the field, Gavin Coombs scores. You think, right, okay, that's just going to temper that expectation a little bit. It's 42-14 now. Then Calif- Cala Mafoni scores on 53 minutes when Munster tried to run the ball out from close to their own line off a scrum. Um Patrick Campbell gets caught, turnover, Callum Afomi picks it up, scores 42-21. Um, then you have the Sam Lucy try, the second round, 60 minutes, 42-28. It's now getting a little bit uh, sevens rugby style stuff. Um, and then Munster respond at 64 minutes. Jack Crowley, lovely little kind of break between two defenders, offloads to Shane Daly and Shane Daly to Calvin Nash under the under the post. Again, you get a sense, okay, that's it. The madness is over now. Munster are going to maybe kick on here. 49-28. Then in 70 minutes, Garrett Davies try. Um, really poor defence. Um, I think it was really, really poor defence. Now, Shane Daly scored a try in the first half when there was three Munster def- attackers on, the, on one side, and there was about five Scarlet's defenders, and he just went straight through a gap. Similarities here where Munster had, a, you know, they had enough of defenders, and they just give a massive gap and hole. Um, the open side for for uh, for the Scarlet's um, just piled Davies. through. Davies, yeah, very good player, actually, Dan Davies. Um, he, he went straight through, offloaded to Garrett Davies, scored. Um, and then on 76 minutes, minutes um, another try, Tom Rogers scores a try, 49-42. Um, I didn't think Scarlets were going to win the game at that stage, but I thought they could get a draw here. They could actually just mess the whole thing up. I think it was like even the timelines of those, those with Munster scoring two tries there, but conceding you know, five tries there in that second half would have been really disappointing for them. Why did it happen? Was it all down to bad defence? Was it attitude? Was it them switching off? Was the Scarlet's been very good? I think there's loads of elements of that. Um, I think I think they'll be very human with that second half performance. I think Leamy or Dennis Leamy definitely will. I think um, Munster have, when things weren't working in attack, Munster's defence was really good and their ability to rush off the line, their ability to put pressure, their ability to force attacks back into where they're strong um, by closing out the the, 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 the outside. And I think um, I, th- I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of um, Scarlet's showing up mentally uh, for that second half. Munster probably thinking at the back of their minds that they're on holidays now for a week and um, maybe, I don't know, I, I do think there was lots of um, systematic errors in terms of, like you say, for Garrett Davies, bodies are there, it's just like nobody's talking. So nobody's actually saying, I have whoever. Um, and I think that once everybody stays, once people retreat back into themselves and stay silent, then it's a lottery. 
in terms of the defensive stuff. As they, when you're full of energy and full of chat and full of communication and, and it's actually proper and it's a one-on-one tackle and it's missed, then more often than not, because you're very aware that you're not making that tackle, you're almost kind of like either side of that tackle will be still kind of, you know, in there to help or whatever. But it's when there's silence and I'd imagine for lots of that second half, it seemed like there was very little communication. Okay, did, for, I'll be the devil's advocate here and say, well, we've seen a little bit of this. If you go back to round 13 against Benetton, Munster conceded 30 points. Yeah. Similar typed scores, particularly early on. They were, were they 14 points down early on? Yeah. And they certainly conceded two really soft tries, I would say. Um, is this a little bit of a worry going forward? If Munster um, get to a position where they've turned their season around, um, after a really difficult start, they're playing really good rugby and they get into knockout stages. Potentially, we're not getting ahead of ourselves here. They have a chance. Will this come back to bite them and just knock them straight out in the quarterfinal against a better team? Because I think um, there's a little bit of a pattern here and, and I don't think it's a situation where people are just bad, bad tacklers, one-on-one tacklers. I think... They're making bad decisions as defenders. And, you know, there was a, a really, as I said, both sides had them the other night because some of Munster's tries, I think Scarlet's defended really poorly, even though Munster stretched them a lot. But, you know, Calvin Nash's try in the first half where the prop leaves the, the kind of pillar at the side of the rock, you'd have to say poor. The one Shane Daly scored, the second one, poor. You know, he took a ball, a frontline runner that was five defenders against three Munster attackers. Um, but Munster had a few in that that second half that I would worry that you know they need to sort this out quickly because um, their attack has been superb and everybody can see that and they're a really really good team to watch um, and maybe it's a good thing this happened the other night it might be a, um, a real energizer from because I think by and large most parts of the season their defense has been pretty good and it's clawed them back into a situation where they're they're now in a good position in the league but I'm just thinking if you look at Benetton and and this game do you think that there's a keep that there's a part of that I don't know I'm just asking thinking out loud now that you're talking about it part of that are both of those teams are down the table expected to win your you know what I mean in terms of uh, that expectation or that you know you you know you're probably going to win let's let's call a spade a spade and it, it subconsciously might not be consciously whereas when they go up against the likes of the Leinsters the Toulouse the Northamptons their defence was incredible and they like that away trip in Northampton especially so is it a case that they're like oh, like Almost like if you score one, we'll score two. I, I like, like I don't know, but I'm just well, asking. It should, I'm just, it should, want... Yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't be, but um, I think maybe that, I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I, I do think that they need to sort this out quickly, and it, and they've three weeks now before they play Glasgow. Um, Glasgow more than likely will come with all their internationals. Uh, Munster will have a few back for sure, um, but that's going to be a really really difficult game, and it's a game that you th- we've highlighted for so long that. You know, Munster win this, they go ahead of Glasgow on the table. But I think this is an area that they really need to focus on the next few weeks. And I'm sure Dennis will, will you know, Dennis Leamy will will be working on this. He'll review the videos, he'll talk to guys individually. It's something they got to fix. They need to become, um, you know, if teams beat you on the outside and you know this from a coach, sometimes you got to say, well, fair enough. But if they're mm. going through you, which that was a bit, a little bit of a worry for me the other night. It's not a huge thing. I think it's a psychological thing as well. 
So, in other words, you're in a very good position at half time. How do you approach that second half? Maybe be a bit more pragmatic, maybe play for a little bit more territory, hold on to the ball, protect things a little bit better, control the tempo, and stop the inevitable kind of surge that you're going to get the team against the team that are losing by a big score. So it's just something to be mindful of, I think. And can, uh, I, can I also say as well, a big big thing for me was Munster's inability to deal with the two second rows. Two Tongans, big athletes, very rangy, incredible over the ball, on the ball. And I just felt like Munster really struggled to tie them in. And I thought well, in the second be, half, they fair, came to the fore a huge amount. To be fair, they're very good players. And, I, and, and like I said, I was doing the commentary and I know they're very good players. They're very physical. Fafita... He's 11 caps for maybe 11, 12 caps for New Zealand and three for Tonga now. Sam Lucy has, um, you know, a Tongan international played super rugby and Kella, Kella Mafoni is another Tongan international, very powerful. So that kind of middle five for them, Josh McLeod and Dan Davis, good players as well. They're experienced. So, um, I think they kind of, you know, out muscle monster at the breakdown a few times in that second half and were really physical. But, we give a lot of credit and we have to give them credit for the first half. Second half needs to be looked at and but overall it was a positive result. It was a it was a great scenario, a great game to watch. But both defensive coaches, I'd say, would and from the Scarlet side and from Munster side would be pulling their hair out. Um we'll move on uh Neve because we could uh we could keep going. Just before we do, twenty seven defenders beaten, which that indicates what you're saying about the attack, the evasion. And the movement, nine clean breaks from both sides. Munster had 17 offloads again. So their numbers are high and that shows the confidence yeah. in attack. Um, we want to see a little bit more confidence in defence, particularly if you're winning the game. Um, and look, they've shown it. And I've said, I don't want to take away from the way they've defended because you, you've said it as well. They have defended very well in a lot of big games. Kind of from that South African game onwards, this run of 13 games where they've won 10 and lost three, which is a really impressive run. The two they've lost, the three they've lost are one to Leinster, twice to Toulouse. So it's been a very, very good result, uh, run results, right? Um, star of the week. Um, who are you picking? Uh, I know we try and pick one, but I felt it was really difficult this weekend. I, I thought the two wingers were in exceptional. Um, in what they're, it's they've really come to the fore this season. They've, you know what I mean. When you're missing athletes caliber of Keith Earls and Andrew Conway, you always kind of think that you might be under pressure. Um, but Calvin Ash and Shane Daly have been brilliant. Shane Daly, especially for me, I think within the first twenty minutes, I think he had something like eight or nine touches. Um, his his work rate is hungry to get off the off his wing. His ability to get around the park, defensively, I think he's really strong. He's really good at the high, the high ball, and and obviously Calvin Nash has kind of turned into this poacher esque goal scorer where he just continuously racking up the tries. And um, so I thought they were really really good both of them. Okay, so we're giving a joint award again this week. Uh, yeah. The stars of the week are the two monster wingers, Calvin Nash. And Shane Daly, it's a big honour to win this now. So they'll, they'll yeah, stars are in post. <laughs> split the award, but I agree. Both of um, you know, taking their opportunities, their game has improved dramatically, and that's probably, you know, um, it's wonderful to see. And it's down to probably the no, not probably it was down to the attack coach and the way they're playing, the confidence these players are given, and it was highlighted in Shane um, Calvin Nash's try in the second half, where. 
Crowley makes that little break, goes through two defenders, but Shane Daly is there on his shoulder uh, coming in off his wing. And then Calvin Nash is in off his wing and he scores. Mm. So we didn't see that stuff in the last number of years. And it's brilliant to see the wingers, um, those two wingers getting their hands in the ball and having more involvements. Um, so well done to them. You could have picked several players in that first half. I thought Gavin Coombs was very good. Even in the second half, I thought he was still... I liked the fact that he was working hard, still putting in a lot of tackles, impact tackles as well. Um, John Hodnett had a you know, huge amount of work as well. Paddy Patterson, for me, was 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 brilliant um, again. Um, but look, I think if you look at all the player, monster players, you could be picking any amount of them in, in that first half. And then the second half, I think the performance dipped a little bit. But um, uh, if we were doing an Andy Farley watching piece, I think we would probably pick Shane, Shane Daly and Calvin Nash as well. Both of them were involved in that, that emerging Ireland tour. And I, I'm sure they're on the Irish selectors, Raiders, Mike Cass. Um, so Munster don't play for three weeks now. Um, next time is on the 25th of March against Glasgow, if I'm correct. I'm just going to check the... Uh... Sorry, one sec. Um, it's the 25th of March. So the next couple of weeks, Steve, just before well, when we leave Munster, we'll, we'll just talk about the Irish game in a second. Um is that a good thing that they have a bit of a break now again? A re-energize possibly um, Thomas Ahern, Mike Haley, Edwin Adogbo could be back in that period, which would be a big boost from, wouldn't it? Yeah, huge. I think they're, they're off this week as, as far as I know. Well, the fit players, I'm not sure about the rehabbers, but uh, they're off this week, so they'll get some downtime and they'll start to ramp back up because it's really about um, once they come back in for that Glasgow game, there's a huge big block uh, left there and they have, they're have they in, still in with, you know, uh, chances of, of being there thereabouts for, for, for both competitions. So, uh, yeah, I'd imagine they'll, um, they'll, they'll take this and definitely use it as downtime and, um, and then ramp it back up again after next week. Yeah, it's, from, from, it's on 25th of March at quarter past five in Tolman Park. Then they go to South Africa the week after and then uh, if they win in South Africa against the Sharks, um, they would be pub- probably away in Toulouse and then back to South Africa for Stormers and Sharks again. So it's uh could be a a really, really busy, hopefully it's a busy five weeks on the trot. Um, but obviously, um, you know, the importance of that Glasgow game, I think. And you can only take one game, of, game at a time. But um, credit to them the way they've played and the results they've got um, since... That South African game in November, I keep highlighting that block, um, but it's been an an incredibly positive one. Um, And they're a very good side to watch now. And I think I love the fact that they're they're confident and uh, their attack has improved so much. I think we need to put a bit of pressure on, um, um, you know, pushing on to the next level now, psychologically as well, because this is a mental thing as well for them. And I know they're excited and animated about where they are at the moment, which is good to see. But um, anyway, busier times ahead in the next few weeks. Uh, just finally, uh, Scotland v Ireland on on um, on Sunday. Um, this is kind of the potential banana skin. Um, credit to Scotland; they've been really good, even the last day in, away in France. I think they 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 asked so many questions of France. Um, started the Six Nations brilliantly, beating England. And Twickenham, 
um, record margin victory in, in Murrayfield the next in round two against Wales and then went to France and obviously the sending off early on and probably the concession of points during that time cost them the game but they could have won that game in France um, I'm sure they'll be looking forward to Ireland coming uh, to to Murrayfield on Sunday and you know, Ireland have asked, answered a lot of questions and I think the one question I was thinking before the Six Nations was psychologically, how are they going to deal with the pressure and some of the similarities of 2019 season um, of being ranked number one team in the world and, and on the back of a great season last year. Can they deal with that pressure? This is another big, big situation for this Irish team on, on Sunday. Can they handle it? Yeah, I think they wear that number one side in the world really well. I think that they they just think about them themselves and how they plan and get better um, as opposed to the, the bigger picture and, and, and what people are saying. Um, I do think that they can. I, I think um, I I have I expect Ireland to win a Murrayfield on the weekend. I think it's going to be a really, really good game, but I, I do expect them. I think um, it'll be... Um, Scotland been really, really good um, from an attack point of view. They've been like obviously Finn Russell's been, um, you know, really good. But there has to be there has to be some form of of payback when when Irish players are at home for a few days and and he's traipsing over to France, play for Racing and, and come back. That's like you know five or six weeks on the bounce now that he's been playing. And while some players love that momentum. I, I do think maybe yeah because he played he played for, he played for Racing on Sunday night at nine o'clock um, yeah against Toulouse I played the previous down week as well so um, yeah look I is, think is he is he the key for Scotland um, no you know, I think the centres are I think they've been absolutely exceptional and, uh, and, and, and uh, Hugh Jones Hugh Jones I've I've been Hugh Jones has been one of my favourite players um, for the last three or four years I think he's been so underrated and to see him playing the way he is now I think that Ireland really need Gary and Rose back um, really do and uh, if he's not uh, I think we'd have to catapult Henshaw straight in there I feel because um, I, I just think that 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 they're playing so well and Russell is putting them into space they're so well right flat in the line as well it's very difficult to defend um, it's uh, you need somebody that knows what they're doing out there and I think that that's huge for Ireland I think Grant Gilchrist been suspended for Scotland is a big thing for them I think he gives them a lot of oomph in, in, in their pack and a lot of physicality I know the Greys will probably come back in there Johnny and Richie but I just do think that uh, Grant Gilchrist is a bit of a James Ryan-esque type of a player where he's um, just very he's physical so um, Ireland I, I, it's <laughs> I do think Ireland are going to win this. So yeah, well, it's good. It's a tough. It's it's a tough one. I just think it's a tough one, but it is. A, it is. Um, it's one that I think they'll be looking forward to. It'll be incredible. Obviously, they won't want to look ahead and talk about any sort of potential Grand Slam situation the week after against England. But how good is it uh, for Andy Farrell to be in a position potentially, and we think this is going to happen, that you'll be welcoming back. Robbie Henshaw, Jamison Gibson-Park, Ty Furlong, Gary Ringrose, Johnny Sexton, Peter O'Mahony. Um, obviously, Peter O'Mahony, we're expecting he will probably go straight back into the back row, but the others have been out injured. So Henshaw, Gibson-Park, Furlong, Ringrose, Sexton. 
how how much of a boost you you're a coach. What will Andy Farrell be feeling? And I know he's spoken about the fact that he's been missing players throughout this championship, and he's had to you know give other people opportunities, and they've answered that call. Um, but this is a huge boost for for Ireland uh, on the run in these last two games. Yeah, I, all those players only add value. They don't take anything away. And I think, um, you know, <clears throat> Sexton, obviously huge for me. I'm still not 100% convinced that uh, Ross Byrne is, um, and is that is that clear number two, to be honest. Um, um, but I, I just think Johnny's, oh, he's just one of the, he's Ireland's best player, arguably. Um, I think he's just, he's incredible at what he does. Um, and also Ring Rose, I think we get them back in. Ty Furlong, that one is just so, it's, it, it is literally, timing could not have been a better, it could not have been better because of uh, Finney Beelham's injury, unfortunately. Um, so, um, that that's brilliant if he gets back in. I, you know what I mean? And if you, you can decide then whether you start or, or bring him off the bench, you know. Um, but I just think that that's a huge plus for them as well. So, um, yeah, I think Andy Farrell. That's actually, do you know what it does though? It gives him a huge headache because, as you said, players that have played for the first three games have played really, really well. Um, do you reward for him? Do you reward the money in the bank? Certain players has to be money in the bank. Other players, you've got a reward for him, and it's a very individual thing. So that's uh, and it'll be tough, I suppose, for the selection. Who do you play in the centre if if Robbie Henshaw, Gary Ringrose, um, Bundy Aki are available? Um, Stuart McCluskey, you know, started there in the start of the championship, did really well. So who do you play in the centres? I know, I, I know you're going to say, yeah, I should just ask 12 because I know you're going to say Gary Ringrose goes straight back in. That's yeah. that's pretty obvious. But who do you play with him at 12? I think it's McCluskey. It's McCluskey. You don't put Robbie Henshaw straight back in. You don't think, think because... he's been out for a very long time. I think that that's a huge big question to a centre partnership that are on fire at the moment. I think... Um, it's a fair yeah. argument McCluskey's played really well um, obviously the um, uh, McCluskey Bundyaki situation didn't have the same effect and, and caused some problems in Italy because you know with respect to Bundyaki he's not a 13 I think Robbie Henshaw can play there more comfortably and has done before so um, any other changes in the side um, Ian Henderson played for for um, Tyg Byrne in that Italian game, Ryan Baird came off the bench, had a big impact. Would you go with Ian Henderson and start Ryan Baird or start Ryan Baird? Would you make any change uh, I, there? I would you still, still stick? Would, I still think, yeah, I think this might come against Ryan Baird, the impact off the bench. Um, yeah, so. maybe, but I want him to start. I still do. I think he's having an unbelievable season. Um, and I think we've got to reward that form. Um so I would go with uh, Ryan Barry, James Ryan. Um, I said for the Italy game, and it's no disrespect to Ian Henderson, none whatsoever. I'm just a huge Ryan Bear fan in terms of his ability to play that game, uh, the type of game that Ireland play and Leinster play. I just think um, he's just a freak of nature in terms of his athleticism and his ability to get his hands free. And I think that uh, going into those tight situations, Ireland will need that. But then you're, you've are you hit the nail on the head. That's something that I'm learning as a coach. Impacts off the bench. 
is huge. And if you, you know what I mean, if you're up by a score or down by a score with 20, 30 minutes to go and you just bring somebody like him off the bench, what do you get? You get a huge amount of energy. So uh, it's tough. It's a tough one. It's a bit of a contradiction if you don't play Robbie Henshaw and you play Tyg Furlong because Tyg Furlong hasn't played since November himself. Um, so anyway, horses for courses and some of these are just... Um, a little bit of intuition and what the coaches are seeing and how the players train as well. But I think it's a huge boost to have them back within the group. I think they'll be very mindful of um, uh, a surge in energy and and a change. Um, Scotland have been playing really well and they deserve credit. I think they're a different side. Ireland have won the last seven games against Scotland. Um, Six in the Six Nations and one obviously in at the World Cup in um, in Japan in Tokyo, um, which is a, it's a tough one probably to take from, from a Sc- Scottish point of view, but I think they're really, really dangerous proposition this time. They're probably more dangerous than uh, I've seen them in a while. That game in 2017 was the last time six years ago in Murrayfield where Scotland won 27-22. They came out, I think Stuart Hogg scored early. Scotland were, came out like a, a train, a steam train right at the start of that game. That was the famous one where the bus was late and um, Joe Schmidt wasn't happy about that. Ireland were late getting to the stadium. But um, yeah, Ireland's success uh, against Scotland has been very, very good in recent years. But I think this one's going to be a difficult one. It's uh, it's uh, You're splitting hairs here, but look, hopefully Ireland can get a result. I think they'll be very mindful of this Scottish side at the moment. You mentioned Finn Russell earlier. I think, you know, if you can try and put a bit of pressure on Finn Russell, if he gets time and space and gets quality possession, I think he can hurt any team. Two good centres as well. And, and their pack has become much more abrasive and powerful. So it's a tough task. Well, good luck to him. Anyway, hopefully we can get an Irish win. Also the under-20s are in Scotland as well. They're going on a similar kind of journey to this to, to the senior team um, at the weekend and a lot of good young players there. So that's it. Um, we're away to Bournemouth at half 12 on Saturday. So I hope we don't do do uh, the, 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 the uh, uh, same scenarios we've done a few times this year when we've got a good win, um, gone, gone and, and lost the week after. And you're home to Forest. You'd be fine anyway. Tottenham should be fine against Forest. What do you think? No comment. No comment. Okay. Well, that's it. Uh, good luck for the week and the weekend as well, Neve. I know you're back in camp. That's uh, it from ep- for episode 61 of uh, the Red 78. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll be back next week to analyse the Irish game and look forward to see if, if what monster are up to. They'll be back training next week. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Nobody knows monster rugby better. I'd like to think I know a lot. 